Welcome everybody. I'm Mark Fox of the Business Innovation Leaders Forum and delighted to be conducting this event today with our partners, the Laura Group. Maurizio Sanchez, who's the Research Director of Network Security, SASI and SD-WAN, the Laura Group is chairing today's session and he will also introduce the panel. So Maurizio, over to you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, the case may be. I'm here today with a distinguished uh, set of panelists that you can see here um, on the slide. We've got Ryan Hammer from Siena, John Kinderbrad from Onto IT, Ron Layton from Sally Mae, Ben DeBont from ServiceNow, and Srini from uh, Tata Communications. In a couple of minutes, uh, each of the panelists will get to introduce themselves, but uh, really glad to have them here for today's conversation. Uh, and before we get to introductions, I have a couple of um, prepared remarks about uh, today's conversation, a little bit about what we do here at Deloro from a, a market research perspective. Again, uh, from Deloro Group, uh, I own the network security and uh, SASE SD-WAN. Uh, first, to, to baseline in terms of uh, a, a number of things that uh, I want to discuss. Um, Obviously, cybersecurity is an iceberg, and I'm not here to say that that uh, I represent all of cybersecurity because we're really focusing on the intersection that straddles the networking world and that cybersecurity world. So, with a main emphasis in, in network security. However, there are some adjacent markets that um, are very close in the orbit of the constellation of, of network security. And, and what I show here is what's near and dear to me from a, from a research perspective. So day in and day out, I'm tracking the, uh, the vendors, the technology landscape that fit into the buckets that I have uh, on this slide. So uh, a number of the remarks that I'll share here momentarily are anchored to this perspective on this particular um, map or landscape. So in the, in the focus of our services network security that uh, and no great surprise is anchored to a number of technologies that have been around in the marketplace for a very long time. So firewalls, email security, or secure web gateways as, as platforms that are now um, increasingly becoming cloud delivered. And on the application and delivery and security side, closer to the data center are things like web application firewalls and uh, application delivery controllers. And then running the WAN networking, because WAN enterprise networking and security, and network security in particular, are coming together. So access routing and SD-WAN are coming together with a number of security elements, as you can see in the black lines here, to give rise in our perspective to the, what I call the great convergence of SASE. And so that's a, that's a very interesting space right now. And, and um, we'll, be able, uh, we'll be discussing a little bit about you know, SASE as an acronym. Because I think that's another thing here that, that uh, we want to tease out is in terms of today's challenges from a CISA perspective, what is the, the, uh, the set of technologies out there and, and the perspectives on that and, and understand where the gaps are and the opportunities for a contemporary CISO to be able to, to embrace. But rounding out the network security and the SASE SD-WAN landscape, uh, are adjacent areas that today we're not tracking, but I'm keeping my sights on in, in order to extend the service at, at some point in the not too distant future. An example of that is what we see as, as a domain of cloud uh, workload security. So as people move workloads and, and applications in, into a cloud architecture, there's a whole set of, of security implications there that uh, are keeping people up at night. And there's a number of technologies and in, in a, in a uh, large number of vendors who are trying to penetrate that um, that particular space. Uh, on the other flip side, uh, of course, is get point security that continues to be something that uh, is, a, is a very long standing market that uh, um, endpoint security is, has been here for a long time and I don't expect it to go um, anywhere else uh, or anywhere uh, in, in the near term. And then lastly, rounding out is the security framework, management framework that wraps everything around. And here you could see another couple of, of buzzwords, some buzzwords that used to be hot 10 years ago, like SIM and others that are very hot today, like, like XDR. And again, I look to, to the panelists to be able to, to in, this, in, the, um, in our second section of the conversation, dig in into some of these buzzwords and, and, and get their perspectives coming from the trenches of the day and day and experiences that they have. So <clears throat> considering that uh, my focus point is that straddling of the networking and the cybersecurity landscape in the context of technology segments like firewalls and, and uh, uh, SD-WAN and, and this emergence of, of, of SASE, what are the market forces and trends that we see uh, from our perspectives as in, in the analyst community? 
So on this slide, I share two anchor points that, that seem to be uh, the two larger um, market forces that uh, are per have been percolating for the last two years. In some instances, probably longer than that. I think these last two years, the first anchor point here that, that everyone's gotten uh, uh, slapped in the face by is the right. So I think we've seen a, a huge increase in, in, in attacks and the, uh, you know, whether it be ransomware, whether it be denial of service attacks, you name it, it, it seems that the hacker community is taking advantage of the current situation. And I think hybrid work is a second one from a market force that has uh, resulted in, in the, an upheaval of enterprise IT and what to do with the remote workforce. And then the last piece is the shift to everything being online because we couldn't meet in person and being able to touch your customers or your clients. Uh, with a digital experience has really motivated enterprises to up their game and invest, but in doing so also open themselves up to a, a new set of security implications. So these to me are kind of the, 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 the recent term market forces that uh, are in play, but underlying this, at least in that straddling of networking uh, and security, uh, we've um, continued to track what we call secular trends. So things that have been longstanding and, and um, are something that that just continued the, the the innovation churn, whether it be from the hacking community or from a from a response side on, on um, being able to mitigate these security risks. But the, the the first one is as network speeds go up, that means there's more traffic. You know, the amount of speeds globally now flying across all the internet links that connect us together is astronomical. And so as we move to 400 gig, as we embrace 5G connectivity that is bringing ubiquitous connectivity to, to every, almost every point in the, in, the, in the world, there are security implications, right? There's massive ones and that, that uh, need to be um, thought of. Likewise, new IT paradigms, uh, whether it be IoT or be edge compute, uh, I'm hearing a lot of chatter from the, the, uh, the, the sensor network that we have, whether it be enterprises, whether it be bars, whether it be uh, the vendor community about you know how is it that you protect the the, uh, the IoT environment that's starting to blossom and and the, as well as what does edge compute going to mean to the enterprises as workloads start getting split up and decentralized to, to get closer to where the action is happening and then lastly I think we uh, enough can't be said about things like AI and new technologies that are uh, being anchored to the AI methodology both for good as well as for bad right so I think this is something that that uh, the technology innovation in turn that's constant with us, in particular, an example of AI is leading to um, some, some um, interesting developments on the, on the um, uh, vendor and technology landscape. So what does it all mean and over the last couple of years in terms of what's the, the outcome and what's the, what, what do we see? And, and, and again, this is something that, that uh, during the panel session, I'd love to get um, a, a response to from our panelists about uh, whether they agree or disagree or what, what, what they see from their perspective, but at least from us coming uh, from being the outside uh, entity looking in across a number of different uh, venues, dollars for security, investment in, in, in security has increased significantly over the course of the, the last 10 years and it continues to, to be uh, a larger and larger um, piece of, of the pie from, from uh, our quantitative modeling. Secondarily, as things move to the cloud, we're moving from an architecture that was dominated by hardware, where it was physical appliances to one that is now increasingly um, uh, biased towards cloud delivered uh, security uh, capabilities, in particular in the network vein. So that's a fundamental shift in terms of the consumption model going from uh, amortized uh, appliances to now a subscription model. And, and so from the, the CapEx to the OpEx in, in, in other terms. And then lastly, we see uh, an emerging preference for um, the vendors who are already large to getting larger because they're expanding it into, into adjacent domains and really looking to become a end-to-end -end platform from a, from a security perspective. Because if there's anything that, that we know from the last uh, 20 years in the cybersecurity landscape is it's extremely fragmented. Not that, it were, that it's going to consolidate or that we see consolidating anytime soon, but there is seems to be areas in particular in, in this straddling between network and security where the large are getting larger as they expand and, and look to grab the entire share of wallet from a CISO and, and uh, be able to service the enterprise. So that's what we see as market forces and trends. And again, we're gonna have a section to be able to hit on that and get, get a discussion going on what our panelists see in this, in this perspective. 
so here at Delora, we love numbers because we're a quantitative market research um, firm. So not only do we try to paint the narrative in terms of what's happening in, in the landscape uh, from a technology perspective, but we also look at it from the business perspective, since um, what we deliver are um, the numbers uh, to these, mar uh, these technology markets. So I mentioned that uh, dollars for security seem uh, appear to be increasing from our perspective. And specific to the network security landscape that uh, in the technology segments that I discussed previously, now, this is the way that the year-on-year -year growth has looked like over the last um, 10 or so years. Yes, you can see in 2020, we had a dip. Uh, and, and I think that was caused by the great pause that uh, a lot of enterprises who all of a sudden when the kid didn't know exactly what they needed to do or just weren't unable to continue for because of social distancing and, and other health measures, but we see that that 2021 um, came back roaring in the way that that uh, we haven't seen recently in terms of the year-on-year -year growth, and we see this um, momentum continuing at least for a short while lo longer. And again, the market forces I described previously, I, that we believe to be the basis for this. And so over time, you see that that the the, the rate of growth, rather than decreasing, uh, seems to be increasing. Uh, given that that linear plot and that block line that I show here. So demand for security, at least from this uh, uh, very much quantitative perspective, shows to be increasing significantly. So the last point here on the quantitative basis before we get to our discussion is, uh, as I said, uh, another phenomenon or trend that we see is a shift from hardware to cloud um, delivered network security. So going from an age where it was the hub and spoke with uh, hardware deployed at each point and then, and then um, the enterprise care and fed that hardware through its lifetime to one where a new breed of security vendors has come into the fold that are uh, delivering their value exclusively through the cloud. There is no hardware to buy. There's just a contract to sign at the bottom and then you're off to the races. And so here you could see for the network security lens um, market that, uh, that I cover, how has the balance of trade shifting over the course of the last several years, but where do we see uh, looking into our crystal ball things going? And so you could see the blue bars are, are uh, uh, the physical appliance world. So think of this as the, the classic firewall that, that uh, has sat in the perimeter for, for many years. Where is it going? You could see that that uh, it it's not it's not going away, but it's not growing at the same rate that say the counterpoint, the cloud deliver, which are the orange bars, which we um, started tracking uh, around 2018, 2019. And you could see that that from our perspective, the vendors that are participating in this particular space are growing very quickly and expected to to grow to the point that the combination of the cloud delivered as well as the virtual appliance or the software um, mode not, uh, of network security is together, those two are gonna be larger than the hardware uh, segment, which is, a, it, which is a pretty drastic shift in the pendulum from where we've come from, which in the last 20 years, the network security landscape has been dominated by the sheet metal and that's where the, the, the attention and the dollars had been going and, and where the source or where the clear innovation is, has been, uh, as this focus on. So very interesting times that, that we live in. And so with that, um, those are my prepared remarks for today. Uh, at this point, I'd like to, for each of the panelists to spend about a minute introducing themselves. And so we'll go off the order here uh, from a left to right, starting with you, Ryan. So uh, hand it over to you to introduce yourself. Wonderful, thank you. Uh, my name is Ryan Hammer and I am the Chief Information Security Officer for Siena. I've been with the company for just under six months or so, but I'm responsible for the overall strategy and execution of our enterprise and product security functions. Uh, I've been building and leading security programs for about 15 years now across a wide range of industries. And I also uh, teach at the college level as adjunct faculty. I'm teaching uh, currently at the Citadel here in beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. And I also uh, teach for Carnegie Mellon's executive education program for CISOs. Uh, so I'm very excited to uh, be part of the, uh, the, the panel today and looking forward to a, a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. You must not be busy enough in your day job that you've got the, uh, the sure. adjunct uh, <laughs> faculty position. Um, well, thank you for the introduction. John, on to you. 
John Kindervog here. Um, I, uh, well, I've been a friend of, of Mauricio's for years. We met when I was at Forrester and he was at, at HP. And so I spent uh, eight and a half years at Forrester and that's where I created zero trust. So if you've heard this buzzword zero trust, which we'll probably talk about a little bit today, I'm the person who created it. Uh, I left Forrester, went, did four years at Palo Alto networks. And now I'm at a, uh, managed services company out of the Netherlands called Ontuit, and we do managed services from a zero trust perspective. So this is part of my zero trust journey, taking it from an idea to a build to a service. So thanks for having me, Maurizio. Good to uh, be reconnected uh, after all these years. Likewise, likewise. So um, quite the same as you have Mr. Zero Trust here and uh, and security community is so small. I always say leave friends behind, not, not enemies because you never know you're going <laughs> to run uh, across it yet again. So thanks for that, John. On to you, Ron. Good day, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me back on the Business Innovation Leaders Forum. I'm Ron Layton. I'm the current uh, Vice President of Convergence uh, in Security Operations at Sally May. I've been with Sally May for about four years. Uh, prior to that, I was the acting assistant director in the United States Secret Service with a variety of assignments. I was the first uh, presidential liaison assigned to President Obama, responsible for the day-to-day -day operations and long-term strategy of presidential information systems, as well as a former deputy director of the National Cybersecurity Division and also the program director of the Electronic Crimes Task Force. Um, while a lot of what I did uh, was was technological. I actually came from a law enforcement organization, and, and the thing that I I think that I you know brought that was a little different. Um, I was a technologist that showed up at a law enforcement organization, not someone uh, who found technology in the last three or four years of my career. So prior to this, I taught uh, physics and mathematics at a university in Pittsburgh, and uh, prior to joining the Secret Service, I wrote. Uh, software as an electrical engineer for supervisory control and data acquisition systems. So I'm, I'm your guy that shows up uh, that has a good bit of a geek hat on and also carried a pistol. Thanks, everybody. Well, don't mess with geeks with the pistols, I guess, right? Uh, but uh, that's a quite a colorful career. I can't imagine the uh, nation state uh, adversaries that you had to face um, in, in previous positions. So we look forward to hearing your thoughts uh, on today's topics. Uh, so with that, on to you, Ben. Thanks, Mauricio. Good day, everybody. Ben DeBont, the Chief Information Security Officer for ServiceNow, dialing in from Seattle today. Uh, the role of ServiceNow, I've been there for three years. It's threefold, protecting our company and our customers. The second is to provide trust, transparency, and assurance to our customers, many of who are the uh, most regulated or critical infrastructure or federal governments globally. Uh, the third part of that role is using our own security products, testing them out, providing feedback to our product division. Prior to this role, I've had a number of uh, CISO-related positions as a CISO for IBM Cloud, HP Cloud. I ran information security for MySpace, for those that remember that social network. And prior to that, I did incident response at Microsoft for their online services, Hotmail, Messenger, and the infrastructure that was Bing and is uh, very much Azure today. Great to be here. Great to have you here, Ben. Another uh, very distinguished career already. Uh, and uh, look forward to your, to your insights in terms of uh, what we've got for today's topics. And so uh, last but not least, Srini from Tata, uh, introduce yourself. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here with all of you. And uh, it was great <clears throat> knowing each one of you, uh, understanding what you all done. I've been with uh, telecommunications for the past 10 plus years, you know, I'm responsible for the managed hosting cloud and security business. Uh, the chief information security uh, function and the chief information officer function rolls up to me. So I, I, I do uh, both the inward facing activities for security and digital transformation, as well as take out services to market. So data communications is the first customer for every service that we launch. Um, we've been doing this for the last 10 years now. Uh, ever since I've been around, that's when we started the practice. Um, so happy to be with all of you and uh, looking forward to learn from each one of you and participate as much as I can. Thanks a lot, Srini. Again, looked forward to your comments, uh, given your perspective of, of in the trenches. And so with that, let's let's jump in.
So for today, we've got a three-part discussion. And uh, the first one is uh, I want to get the panelists discussing and, and getting their perspectives on what do they see as the challenges or the market forces or industry forces and trends. So kind of give us that, that perspective of the the big, the big picture, right? And and then we'll we'll zero in in terms of specific technologies that the industry is very hot on, and we'll get their their perspective on which ones are hot, which ones uh, are duds, from from their vantage points. And then the last piece is is discussing the um, what are the recommendations or the outcomes, and if they were speaking to the vendor community, where are the gaps, and and what should be the attention in order to be able to service not just today's needs from a, from a CISO perspective, but uh, uh, looking towards the future and trying to trying to paint a little bit about uh, what may come in, into uh, the forthcoming um, landscape. But again, first topic is challenges, forces, and trends. And so the question to the panelists that uh, Srini, I'd like for you to tee things off in this, today's discussion, is what do you see as today's uh, forces and trends, right? What's 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 keeping you up, and what do you see as a as a, as a landscape from your perspective? So thanks, uh, Marichu, for that question. Um, I think there are, I'm sure you know all of us, uh, and you said the context fairly well as well. Uh, there are too many things that are you know changing and uh, changing rapidly for the comfort of anyone in any enterprise. Um, I think the uh, added to the pace of things or disrupted many things or you know, created opportunities, created challenges. I think the industry has overcome many of them or beginning to overcome some of them. Um, with that, I think, you know, let me call out a few you know, large trends. I think you covered some of them as well. So I'll quickly rejog everybody's you know, memory on that one. <clears throat> one is I think remote work, um, virtual or work from anywhere um, has become a reality. A distributed workforce is a norm. People can work from anywhere. So those are things that I think, you know, we've accepted in the last couple of years. Going digital, um, I think there's a second big trend. Um, and that has been on for a while now. Many companies, you know, you know, have been pushing for it. Many enterprises in specific have been pushing for a lot of their things to be digital. But I think this got accelerated. And more importantly, people started questioning processes that were not going digital for various reasons, either for security or there needs to be a, um, you know, um, an ink that you know, needs to be on paper for whatever reason. You know, people started questioning that and that put pressure in, on, on the, the digital transformation process to sort of make the digital you know, acceleration a lot more faster and cover more processes that so far you know, were you know, not included in the digital transformation process. Related to that, I think two things happen. One is I think um, there's been you know a movement of skill and talent from one organization to another. You know, in the last six to eight months, I think that's been a phenomena, and that's impacting you know many things. You know, continuity of work and in and and skills and what you can do and how fast you can do, and and of course the move to cloud has been you know accelerated and more and more you know you know workloads are moving to the cloud. And that, you know, is actually putting a pressure on, you know, security network, you know, and whatever, you know, standard operating procedures that an enterprise would have. <clears throat> so added to all of this, I think there's been an ongoing network, you know, transformation with, with an intent to improve performance and reduce cost. And that's where you spoke about, you know, the SD-WAN plus the, the associated stack, uh, which is important for enterprises to move to the internet, save cost and improve performance of, you know, provide more, you know, resources to their enterprise. And along with that, I think the change is blurring of boundaries, which means network, security, uh, edge. I think the boundaries are blurring a lot, lot faster or they're coming together a lot closer and that's creating its own challenges. Um, so this is, this is on the broad technology trends and what we're doing on transformation, you know, and what we're doing on people, skills, et cetera. If you leave that aside for a moment and look at what are the challenges for a, from a business perspective, you know, because I wear that hat as well. Um, I think businesses are being challenged more and more by customers, you know, because they're facing different situations in their businesses. Um, and they're looking for, you know, newer things and newer capabilities much faster than, you know, what they expected, you know, prior, you know, and, and thereby businesses are now compelled, you know, to, to sort of do newer things to cope up with the market, the market expectations compete effectively in the market. 
And businesses are also wanting to become a lot more dynamic or a lot more composable, which is a you know uh, which is a common word that's being used today. How can we become more flexible in the work that we do? And along with all of this, digital trust is becoming important. As you go more digital, digital trust is important. And there are a lot of enabling technologies that are at play, and there are a plethora of choices for you know enterprises to choose from. They have the the challenge of being able to. Uh, piece through, you know, solutions, you know, put together solutions, you know, and and um, also understand uh, what the trends are, like what you called out, what's relevant, what's not relevant, um, and and bringing together an integrated view of what's happening in the enterprise around security. Um, along with that, bring in uh, a zero trust, you know, approach, you know, make sure that they are, you know, helping their businesses, you know, be safe in the digital world and improve on digital trust. Um, what are the immediate things that they're looking at from where I sit and see things? I think more and more companies are looking at secure application access. How can we do it with zero trust network access? Um, XDR is a common technology that people are looking at. Um, and also the, the whole thing around SASE, what can I do with SP-WAN plus the stack? I think those are start points for a conversation You know, from our challenges, forces, and trends. Um, so I'll pause here and, and uh, see if there are other comments from fellow panelists. Srini, thank you for those comments. I think you've expanded this into a, a number of domains that we're going to touch on here in, in just a second and, and deeper. But going back to a couple of the things that you said in terms of, of the skill and talent challenges, I, I, I have heard that um, now come through in, in a number of my conversations, as well as as cost as an underlying challenge and TCO measures, right, from a, from a business metric perspective. But uh, um, uh, and the speed of change is another one that, that jumped out at me. Now, opening it up to, to the other uh, panelists, what do other folks um, think? Is it, is it uh, uh, somewhat in the same vein of what I said, because Srini uh, kind of mapped into what some of the things and latched onto the things I said, or are there other things that, that you think uh, are the driving the market or key forces that uh, uh, drive the, today's uh, CISO conversations? Srini, I wholeheartedly embrace uh everything that you said completely agree with you thank you for, for sharing your uh, your insight I, I think uh the big picture is that as cyber risk professionals uh, we continue to embrace uh human behavior and try to wrap security blankets around it so for me it's my three c's it's human beings are curious we want convenience and we want to be comfortable and so all of these things provide challenges in a security uh environment and so as risk professionals we have to continue to evolve and respond to these things so you think about what the did it drove everybody home and so now we've got individuals who at least in my area there's something called the beltway in washington dc well there's a bunch of people who have discovered they don't want to do that anymore they don't want that hour and a half drive and so even when it comes to other things that you you know you kind of we took for granted I can't tell you how much my dry cleaning bill has declined. Why? Because now I have a bunch of loungewear and I can sit and I can do work remotely. And so that's more comfortable for me. It's more convenient for me. What does that mean for a CISO or a risk executive? Well, it's the push towards um, the, the SASE environment. It's the push uh, towards this whole notion of zero trust. Why? because I'm not in the corporate network environment anymore. So once again, the overarching point is that how do we as risk professionals, how do we adjust to the human behaviors that ask us as professionals to wrap, it, to wrap a security blanket around those professionals to make sure that we're still operating in a secure environment. Now, here's the other thing too. All of a sudden, we're at home. And being at home really does shift your behaviors. And so now I think there is a greater tendency to see an interplay between dealing with a corporate workload. Oh, wait a minute. I want to check my Facebook. I want to check my Gmail. And so now all of a sudden, how can I do that in a secure environment? And, and how can we as risk professionals, you know, adapt to that environment? and still be reasonably secure that we are driving risk uh, to zero. 
and, and so those present significant challenges for us all, but I think it's a, it's a prime time and an opportunity uh, to really embrace a SASE framework, a zero trust framework. We wish that acronyms like SASE or zero trust were simply pieces of software that we could switch, but of course we can't. They're all, they're all approaches. But again, my commentary is that we continue to have to wrap security blankets around the human notions for curiosity, convenience, and comfort. Thanks for those comments, Ron. Yes, it kind of reminds me of the old joke that uh, there's hardware, there's software, and then there's wetware, right? So you gotta, you gotta think about the people in the security question. Uh, and if you could get rid of the wetware, hey, <clears throat> your security problems would be completely solved. Uh, <clears throat> so you touched on a couple of security technologies. I'm gonna circle back in the second um, uh, chapter here and momentarily, because you, you mentioned a couple of this, the, the buzzwords that, that uh, are <clears throat> flying in the, in, the, um, in the landscape. So SASE, zero trust. So I'm gonna come back to you, Ron, and, 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 um, and in our, our next section. But before we jump to that, um, I guess I wanna see if anyone else here on, on the, on the, um, from the panel has a perspective um, that uh, either uh, falls in line to, to Srini's or, or um, to, to Ron's. Now, I'm, I'm a bit surprised. I haven't heard anything about ransomware yet or, or the, the, the attack uh, landscape. Is, is that uh, changed significantly in the, here recently for, for uh, in the, today's environment? Or is it just one of those standing things that, hey, yeah, it's been here, it's been there. We've, we've had that problem for, for a long time and it's a market force that isn't gonna go away and, and it continues to be just uh, an element of the conversation. Ryan. Yeah, I'm happy to take that. So I often talk about the internet being a pretty rough neighborhood, right? There are statistics on if you have an unpatched machine uh, with internet connectivity, uh, what's its survival rate? And, and, it's, and it's measured now in, in minutes, maybe hours, uh, not weeks or months. And I think, you know, over the last few months here with uh, some of the uh, kinetic warfare activity that's, that's occurring, I think that some of the, um, you know, the governance and the uh, whatever oversight was happening there uh, has, has been uh, uh, loosened. Uh, and it's starting to feel more like a, a free fire war zone than just a rough neighborhood. Uh, certain sectors, I think, are being hit much harder than others. But with this pervasive kind of porous perimeter of having machines and people all over the world working at various different hours, connecting to a wide range of infrastructure, that really just, it does a whole lot for our attack surface area. Uh, and in many cases, really makes it much more difficult for us to truly manage that well without some of these additional technologies that are helping us um, you know, adapt to the new environment. So it, it's, a, it's a very rapidly changing uh, landscape for sure. And I, I feel that the deck is often stacked against us uh, as CISOs, uh, whereby you know, it's the old adage that the, the threat actor only has to be successful once and we have to be successful every time. And, and we also have, can only operate at the pace that, you know, the business will allow us to operate. It's, it's difficult to get new products and solutions through procurement and to do proof of concept testing and get financing for it and get folks trained up on it, uh, whereby threat actors uh, can, can very rapidly advance their tactics and uh, take advantage of the latest vulnerability or the latest new tactic that will allow them to execute on their objectives. So, yeah, it's uh, it's always busy. Yeah, Ryan, attackers don't have change control. So right away, That's right. <laughs> you're, we're behind, right? And they don't have compliance mandates. I mean, God bless each and every one of you here because I would never do any of your jobs because it's mostly paperwork, right? Compliance, there's way too much compliance uh, you know, the, out there and a lot of it overlaps and self-contradicts. So it's a very hard job. And then you look at things like ransomware, where we see the laws of unintended consequences, because we started to insure for ransomware that increased the amount of ransomware. And I was just talking to a lawyer who was negotiating on the dark web, a ransomware payment, and he offered some, what he thought was an ex extraordinarily large amount of money. And they sent back to him uh, the insurance policy with the amount of money that the company was going to get highlighted and said, nope, that's how much we're getting. And he said, well, you got me there, right? You got me. What can I say? So uh, just like when life insurance was invented, you had a rash of murders. Uh, the 
the invention of cyber insurance has uh, created a rash of ransomware attacks. So uh, we have to be real careful about what we think is innovation versus what is uh, <laughs> maybe not so innovative. Uh, thanks for those comments, John. I, I really am astounded that you guys all look so fresh considering just the things that keep you up at night, right? So I, um, it, it looks like uh, you guys managed to, to sleep pretty well at, at night considering the, the thorny landscape that uh, this contemporary CISO needs to deal with. And I guess with that, we can switch to our second topic because um, as my friend John uh, corrected me, a lot of champing at the bit here to talk about technology, right? So playing the, the little bit of the buzzword bingo here from the perspective that for today, we wanna to discuss um, the vendor uh, landscape, right? We wanted to, to, to uh, first set the challenge, uh, which um, you know, I heard remote workforce, you know, I heard skill set. I heard the fact that things are, are moving very fast, the threat surfaces are expanding and, and quite fluid. You know, there's still a lot of bureaucracy that's hampering to be able to move fast, as fast as the attack uh, community is, is moving. And so obviously one of the, the, the key components in, in helping uh, address the security problems is the technology in the vendor landscape. And so for this chapter, before we get to kind of getting to what you are um, recommending to um, your uh, vendor community or to, to what provides recommendations, I wanna pick on and, and have you guys become the analysts, right? So from my position, I get to, to, to be in a peanut gallery and, and throw um, darts and, and, and uh, probably sometimes FUD at some of these, these acronyms or, or technology. So whether perhaps some of these are, are good, right? So Brian, you said that, that uh, you're a believer of SASE and, and Zero Trust, or perhaps some of these for some of you may jump out and say, no, that's, the, that's, that's not really where it's at, it's, it's, it's somewhere else. But we'll start with, John, with you, John, given that, that uh, we're distinguished to have you here as Mr. Zero Trust. Now, I know you've got some strong comments uh, around the usage of Zero Trust and the, and the concept. So what's, what's your take on this technology uh, profile of Zero Trust? Well, there is no technology profile on Zero Trust. Zero Trust is a strategy designed to stop data breaches and make other cybersecurity attacks unsuccessful. And so when you take that strategic approach, you can change the whole game. That's when I, I joined Forrester in 2008. I wanted to bring strategy to uh, cybersecurity because, uh, you know, most people, as one of my mentors taught me years and years ago, confuse strategy and tactics. So they say they're being strategic, but they're actually being tactical. And that's where we spend all of our time is in the tactics. So I work with all kinds of organizations uh, around the world on uh, helping them uh, protect things using zero trust modalities. And it's very common that they want to talk about products. Where do I put this widget or that, that doohickey? And I'll ask, where, what are you trying to protect? And they don't even know. So zero trust is about uh, protecting uh, things. And if we, if we don't understand what we're protecting, then we're going to be completely under, uh, unsuccessful. Uh, so just Ronald, uh, one of the main things that I use in my presentations is how the U.S. Secret Service protects the president of the United States. They know who the president is. They don't do presidential discoveries. Uh, they, they know where the president is at all times, and then they know who should have access to the president at any, any given time. If you change your focus from, from what your, uh, your technology is to what you're protecting, it's just going to make your life a lot easier. And that's what Zero Trust is all about, a strategy uh, designed to protect things and, and designed actually to be resonant to the highest levels of your organization, which is why you saw the presidential executive order on zero trust because it has strategic resonance. Thanks for those comments, John. Yes, I think too often tactics and strategy are, are mixed together. And, and, and uh, I think everyone is looking for that panacea, that easy button, right? And so uh, if strategy could be productized, now, that would be a great utopia, but uh, it, unfortunately, um, uh, unicorns don't exist either, and, and the strategies of the product uh, don't um, as well. Uh, ben, we haven't heard from you, uh, so I'd like to, to hear from you in terms of you know, what's your thoughts on this uh, uh, buzzwords that are flying about? You know, do you have a comment on any of these or, or uh, perhaps some others, right, that, that from, a, from a, uh, the perspective of, that uh, you sit from? 
Mauricio, it's a healthy dose of skepticism. Um, I'm, I'm really excited that we do have John with us and, uh, and the way in which he described this particular buzzword, uh, Zero Trust, which, which he created. To me, it means uh, centralized authentication, distributed authorization. But I know from running large security teams for a long time, if I go and start asking security people what Zero Trust means to them, I get a very different answer. And so um, I, I, I actually love to take the opportunity to ask you a question, John. Have you ever seen a, uh, a zero trust implementation that you thought was really well done? Hundreds upon hundreds of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've built myself a lot of them. And then I work for a company where we've built over 300. So yes, um, oh, the problem has been up until now, zero trust is like, uh, is like Fight Club. The first rule is you don't talk about it. So it's hard to get people to talk about their zero trust environments. But that's the reason that you saw the president issue the executive order. It's because the advisors and a lot of those people that I've been working with over the years have been pointing out how successful it has been. So, and it's not just authentication. That's one of the main, and authorization. It's not just the identity po portion of it. That's what's been spun by identity vendors. So if you're an identity vendor, zero trust is identity. If you sell proxies, zero trust is proxies. If you're a firewall vendor, zero trust is a firewall. None of those things are true. There are times when you use various technologies uh, once you understand what you're protecting. But there are tons and tons of very uh, successful zero trust environments. And I use the word environment because we're always talking about a protect surface. What am I protecting? Uh, I can take the attack surface, shrink it down orders of magnitude to something very small and easily known called a protect surface. That could be a DNS uh, server or a system. It could be, um, you know, I do it for ATMs. I do it for uh, drill rigs. I've, I've done it. I did it for a wind farm in the South Pacific. So it, you get into these smaller areas. You take this large problem called cybersecurity, break it down into very small parts. And now small things are solvable. Big things are not solvable. So that's the misunderstanding of zero trust is, is that it is a, uh, that it's a binary thing and either you're doing it or you're not doing it. And that's not true. You, you want to do it in small incremental iterative and non-disruptive chunks. Thanks for that color, John. So what I'm hearing, um, uh, the, the, the conversation, I really like where the direction is going, right? Is that how some of these uh, technology terms uh, aren't really uh, product terms. They've been, they're being abused as product terms, but in fact, they're, they're strategy. And those strategies can be uh, embraced um, uh, and done well, right? So John, as you pointed out that you're, you've been part of um, hundreds of, of, uh, of instances of, of zero trust. And, and, and Ben, but I think you're also right that it's also from a CISO perspective, good to have a dose of, of uh, healthy skepticism because some of these um, may uh, in fact be uh, a, a snake oil or something similar uh, to that. I guess going back to, to um, uh, looking at the other ones here, right? So, because I think we've hit on zero trust uh, pretty hard already. What did folks uh, feel about the other ones? Are, the other, are there other terms and, and technologies that are being bantered about by the vendor community? And, and I guess I, I should frame this more so from the vendor marketing, uh, of which some of these could be technology terms, some of these could be just pure play marketing terms. So I want to get your perspectives on uh, looking at it from the perspective of, of, uh, of uh, the peanut gallery throwing things at, 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 the, uh, at the vendor community. Um, any other thoughts on, on, on some of these? I know, Ron, you had uh, brought up SASE. Ron, so you had, me, uh, I think, Sri, you brought XDR. Let, let me sort of, you know, add. Okay, Sri. Broadly, what you're putting here, um, you know, when I look at it, I classify into two buckets. One is network security, you know, and what all do you do around network? And the other one is all about application security and, and your software security, right? Um, if you look at the vendor landscape here, you know, there can be like probably 50 to 100 vendors who are doing different things, right? And some of them are partly doing stuff. Some of them are specializing in a very, very small area. Um, and, you know, some of them, claim to do many things, you know, under a framework, but they, they may not have, you know, equal, you know, um, capability or equal depth, you know, in each one of these areas. Uh, but I think um, 
as in any you know any piece of work that you do in an enterprise or in a business um hygiene is very important like for example if you look at the supply chain compromises that have you know happened uh, in the recent past um and if you look at any enterprise the inventory of applications that they run the inventory of you know places where these are running um and what do you need to look for who are the contributors to that code where did that get done getting to some of this you know root cause and saying hey how do i you know sort of address them is it even relevant to me not relevant to me um i think a lot of you know the products that you have in the market do things once you know what to do right um but you know you don't have the ability to constantly have discovery um and an updated you know um you know information on the ecosystem that you live in and which i think people should worry about because you know things are not static in any world and new things get added new you know things get deleted you know so what are you actually trying to sort of secure and like what uh, john was saying know what you're protecting uh, and it it's not as clear as the president of united states all the time right you know you you have number of things changing and it's a dynamic landscape and how do you sort of manage that you know how do you sort of get your hands around there are different technologies what do you deploy deploy for what i think there's a lot of you know help that's needed you know in these topics for customers to sort of make sense of you know what the vendors are offering to them and how do they put them to effective use yeah i i completely agree and i'll add you know uh there's lots of acronyms and we talk about this as as word you know as acronym soup it's just a reminder that it's so important to have a focus on the basics right there's a lot of really fundamental components here that i think can get a bit lost in the shuffle when we start asking questions like you know gee what's your ai devsecops strategy and what's your ai devsecops such you know strategy we we really need to focus on you know the fundamentals and make sure that those are just absolutely rock solid uh that they're in place that we're operating at a high level of, of maturity and capability there um some of these are certainly uh important as we think about you know them operating as as architectural components uh I'm super happy to hear John talk about zero trust as as a as an approach and as a philosophy because I I've always surprised how many emails I get of you know hey buy our zero trust solution implement zero trust with just a few clicks and um you know i think most of us can kind of sort that out and realize it's it's just a a poorly worded you know product marketing spin but if we think about how we implement zero trust you know pretty much every day as a philosophy you know even having relationships with third parties some of these business to business dmzs that we all have it's not that we don't trust partners and vendors but it's just it's just good practice we we need to implement security controls and capabilities wherever we can uh and 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 it isn't so much that we don't trust our vendors networks or our partners networks it's it's just that bad things happen and the more uh checks and balances we have the more stop gaps and controls we put in place the more likely we are to be successful to to minimize the scope and duration of a security incident and Ryan uh security basics are so important but um as technology becomes to be so much more pervasive than our lives year over year that attack surface continues to expand and and achieving the security basics becomes more and more difficult i think um when when i think about um security vendor products and we sell them ourselves a rule of thumb that i use is to tell the security vendors what our requirements are for driving down risk and not have them tell us what solutions they say we should do and uh taking that risk based approach and looking at our objectives and what we want to achieve and then I'll go and consider some products rather than the other way around and it's it's uh it's a little surprising to me how many times it happens in reverse oh but this is an amazing new product says it can solve all our problems well you know I'll go use it I'd rather say hey it's what risk am I trying to uh, risk objectives do I have and then looking for a solution whether it's something that I buy or build in house So, so Ron, we'll go back to you in, in, a, in a second because I think the, the conversation is shifting actually to the third topic. So let's bring the the third topic to to be able to to drive this uh, conversation towards towards a conclusion. Um, because uh, Ben, you're absolutely right. Very often the vendor community it comes with a product or technology looking for the problem, but sometimes that problem maps well to the enterprise, and and um, and so I think you're hitting on an answer. to my my last question here for the third third topic right so it's um you know what if you were talking to the vendor community and it and it seems like you were answering from that from that perspective you now what what are the gaps they need to address and i think you you hit on 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 one of them right is it talk to me 
not as what's your shining widget, but talk to me, how does, how do you help me reduce risk and, and improve my, my security posture? So I think that's, that's a, a very salient one. Um, Ron, I think you had a comment and, and whether it brings us back to the second topic or brings us forward here on the third topic, um, go for it. So I'm gonna to try to smash the two topics together. Um, so first of all, I'd like to uh, strongly associate my comments with everybody on the panel, in particular, John, of course, uh, the way and the manner in which the president is protected is uh, near and dear to my heart. A couple of comments about that. If you've ever been to a presidential uh, visit, you, you will find out that actually, if you were fortunate enough to get close to the president or shake a hand or do all of these kinds of things, it is incredibly inconvenient incredibly inconvenient, but it's accepted because most folks realize the environment that they're in. And so if you think about what we do in the cyber landscape, everyone, no one would put up with that level of inconvenience. And so we find a, 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 an association with uh, convenience and the security that we want rapidly. So it's just an interesting parallel, but I, I did wanna say this, a high level discussion has to start off with John's comment. What is it that you're trying to protect? And then to extend that a little bit more, what are you trying to protect? And then what are the vulnerabilities associated with that? Like that's the big picture. And then from that point, you end up saying, okay, what is the strategy to do that? And to me, here's the secret sauce that goes to Ben's comment. You need to be strategically sound or strategically focused, but you need to be tactically aligned. So in other words, your tactics have to flow up to your strategy and people confuse that all the time. And so what ends up happening is when you get a piece of gear to, 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 to push this into the third topic, what are the outcomes that we're looking for? Obviously we're looking for what are those vulnerabilities associated with those, uh, those vulnerabilities that are associated um, with, with those bad things, with those things that we're trying to thwart, that risk that we're trying to buy down, that strategy, those tactics that we're trying to employ to push those risk factors down to zero. If I've got a sound strategy and a set of tactics that flow up to them, it will be easier to determine whether that piece of gear that a vendor is trying to sell me simply fits into that paradigm. In other words, I'm trying to buy down my risk, not the risk that a vendor is trying to convince me that I have. And so that's the lens that I generally look at these kinds of things. So thank you for that time. I, I think that makes a lot of sense, right? So it's, it, I'm hearing a lot of back to basics, right? Don't uh, own your own destiny. Don't let the, the, the vendor community own, your, um, own the destiny for your um, security strategy. Ryan, I know you had uh, some strong thoughts on, on this last uh, topic. Um, what's, your, what's your thinking? Yeah, so, so to take us up a notch here, when, when I think about outcomes that, that we are uh, continuously chasing, uh, because rarely is anything truly just complete on the information security world. It all moves so fast and changes so much. We're, we're always uh, you know, constantly, you know, planning, doing, and checking to make sure that it's still in place. But the, the first one, uh, from lots of time with, with other, you know, CISO peers, it's about, and these aren't in any priority order, but it's about um, being able to demonstrate that you have a commercially reasonable security program in place. Uh, it's very important to, to be observant and have traceability between the regulatory requirements that, that apply to us, the contractual requirements that will apply to us, and, and a lot of the industry standard practices that I think John observed sometimes conflict uh, with other guidance. Uh, so it's really hard to manage that. But I think it's it's important, you know, that we uh, remember that we are stewards of the security program for our company, and we're responsible to make sure that um, all the pieces are in place, and that we can comfortably demonstrate traceability between the things that we must be doing and should be doing and the things that we are be doing, that we are to do, are doing. Um, the second item for me is, is really obviously the most difficult and I think it's been at the crux of a lot of the conversation today. And it's about protecting the business. And in some cases that's about protecting customer data. Uh, it, sometimes it's about protecting, uh, you know, access to some of our partners uh, uh, and other vendors. 
Sometimes it's intellectual property or securing our products, but it is a very broad and diverse, uh, you know, challenge that I think, uh, you know, my first point around a commercially reasonable program maybe only gets us a, a fifth of the way there. there. There are so many evolving tactics, so many new attackers, so many new different attack trends that we have to be constantly on top of where this is all going and do our best to lead the target. And I think there are some, you know, foundational aspects of a, of a robust security program that pay dividends uh, even when attackers start shifting tactics. Um, we, we all talk about defense in depth over and over again. I, you know, I like to use the term detection in depth so we can collect diverse sources of security relevant data and use that to identify indicators of not only malicious activity, but what about just suspicious or what about anomalous? Tell me about weird things in my environment. Uh, and then the third is really kind of leveraging those uh, as, uh, you know, not necessarily competitive differentiators. I mean, sure, that's all nice to, to do, but to really start to kind of build those bridges of trust. Um, you know, I, I always encourage folks, uh, whether it's, you know, folks in the Carnegie Mellon CISO program or my students to, to build those relationships early with vendors and partners. If there's an opportunity to, you know, to have a meeting and, and share tactics and strategy, uh, to do a, a joint incident response tabletop. Um, you, you don't want to be meeting these folks for the first time, uh, you know, when it hits the fan. Any opportunity you have to, 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 you know, share information and be transparent and build relationships, we all need to take advantage of that. So those are my really kind of top three outcome-wise that I find that, um, you know, we're all looking to accomplish. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of back to basics, but it's also investing time to um, have those that vendor technology vendor landscape become a partner for the long term. So um, with that, uh, we got to get here into the to the opportunity for all of our panelists to, to provide um, parting thoughts. I'd like for you to, to provide some some uh, parting thoughts, you know, whether it be additional thoughts on the on the, the topics that we discussed today, or um, you know, what do you think that that the uh, additional recommendations for the contemporary CISO? You know, I think it's been a great conversation and uh, great listening to uh, you know all the panelists. Um, you know, from you know you know from you know where to start and you know where to sort of you know do this. I think it's a complex you know, um, you know, landscape out there, you know, uh, my, my suggestion and advice would be to seek help, uh, think carefully, uh, which is again, you know, a basic and like what um, Ryan said, look at a commercially viable security program and not, you know, something that, you know, you would ideally like to have because, you know, it's always a trade-off between what risk you're trying to protect and vis-a-vis -vis what, you know, cost can you, you know, sort of afford. Um, and, you know, look at, you know, transformation in blocks, in logical blocks, you know, network transformation is a given. I think most, you know, most of the companies are looking at SD-WAN plus that stack um, that leads up to a SASE stack. So that's important. Uh, transform your network, make it more effective, but at the same time, make it secure. And the network plus security plus, you know, uh, the edge continuum is gonna happen. It's a reality, you know, so you, you better accept that, you know, and start working through that. Application and workload security is another important thing, you know, and I think, you know, you know, people should look at it and say, where do I, you know, sort of put the controls in? How do I manage it? You know, what do I do? Because SASE leads up to that, you know, so that's where I would sort of, you know, conclude by saying network is important. Look at network transformation, security associated with it. Look at SASE, look at edge, you know, because that's important for customer experience, you know, but do look at, you know, other things in the infrastructure, which is application and software security because you don't want to be vulnerable at the back of the system. Thanks, Srini, very salient uh, wisdom there. Uh, ben, on to you. Thanks, Mauricio. So I would look at it this way. Um, many breaches, or at least in my opinion, most breaches these days are due to operational failures or mishaps to those very security basics that we have been discussing so much today. The buzzwords that we talk through, they represent concepts or to John's great point philosophies. And if executed well, can really help you achieve those security basics and potentially in you in innovative ways. But uh, I think um, what, what I do and what I would recommend is focusing on the outcome from these concepts before you start exploring solutions, what it is that you want to achieve. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to driving down cyber risk and it is not possible to eliminate it. So demonstrating a strategic, efficient approach to driving down risk with a foundation of continuous improvement is what you should and can expect 
from any security organization or business. Thanks for that, Sats. I'm really hearing this theme of be a leader, uh, make sure you own your destiny versus letting get swayed by the latest buzzword or the latest uh, vendor interaction. Um, Ron, what are your parting thoughts? So I, I think fundamentals uh, in a back to basics approach uh, typically will win most of the days. And, you know, it starts out with this conversation, figure out what you want to protect map your vulnerabilities, uh, have a keen understanding of how to thwart those vulnerabilities, um, make it really, really hard for human beings, for human factors to do something that will really is just screwy. You just need to make it hard for that to happen. And, and, and lastly, as a CISO, as a risk executive, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to eliminate the absence of a surprise. The idea is to control your environment. You should really never be surprised by some exogenous factor that you did not make an account for. In other words, if you think about what we do, we put, I love the detection in depth. The idea is to put out all of these tripwires so at least you have a better idea of what's coming and you need to be tactically focused, strategically aligned, to be able to deal with these threats, but it's back to basics. Again, hammering on that back to basics, right? Don't forget the basics and, and uh, you, you'll be served well. So thanks for those thoughts, Ron. Uh, John, what about you? What, are you? what are your parting thoughts? Well, I think we need to understand that the objectives aren't technological objectives or even cybersecurity or uh, I think it was Ryan who said information security, which is a much better term, right? What's well, a cyber and why do I need to protect it? Uh, these are things I don't understand. But uh, what are the objectives of your business? You have to become a business enabler, a business driver. You have to figure out how does uh, your security program improve revenue, improve profitability, uh, keep bad things from happening. And how do you articulate that up to the board of directors? These are the key jobs of the CISO, in my opinion. And so if we focus on the technology all the time, which is always going to change and get better. Well, I, I always used to say it gets better and better. And now I'm thinking that uh, there's a lot of things that are getting less and less good. You know, there, we're, we're, as a friend of mine says, we're on a, on a slope, uh, on the slope towards mediocrity because uh, all the things that, that we learned in the past, we're forgetting. So in the cloud, you have stateless ACLs as your best security control. And everybody knows that every single attacker knows how to bypass those. So I'm a little bit worried that we've forgotten the lessons of history and we're doomed to repeat them. But understand what your business needs and talk in a business language. You'll be more successful in cybersecurity if you can do that, as opposed to spend all your time in the technology and the products and with the vendors. Uh, and I'm a geek too, so I love all that stuff, but I've had to learn over the years that if I'm hanging out with a CEO or a member of the board of directors, they just really could care less how elegant my spanning tree is. <laughs> Great thoughts. It was, <laughs> uh, uh, was a pleasure. Um, so, so Ryan, last but not least, what's what's your uh, your parting thoughts? Yeah, it, it, this has uh, just been an absolute pleasure. Really great advice from across the the board here. I, I'll um, I'll close out my comments with uh, a little bit of a different perspective uh, and, and advice. Really, kind of to, back to the vendor um, relationship piece. I think you know when when vendors are are seeking to close deals and, and sell new products. In many different industries, um, you know, there's a lot more flexibility on uh, a product gone wrong or an implementation not quite meeting expectations. But on the security side, you know, we as as security leaders who are responsible for this function, really, in, in many cases, stake our credibility on the products and the claims uh, that we're, we're getting from vendors. So, you know, I think taking that very seriously uh, is, is really helpful for us and making sure that we're building relationships, not just closing deals. Um, this is something that, you know, we, we started earlier uh, the conversation with what a small world it is. Uh, how most of us know each other really well. 
we all talk and uh, you know, having credibility and being able to deliver uh, in, this, in this market, in this world is, is exceptionally important. And those products that are able to do so, the vendors that build strong relationships and aren't just focused on you know, selling the next acronym are the ones that continue to thrive and do really well. Thanks for those um, uh, comments, Ryan. Uh, to, to close out, it seems everyone is hitting on, you know, the landscape is getting harder and harder. Things are moving faster. Got to focus on the basics and have a strategy, not tactics. Uh, have healthy skepticism about the, the, uh, the vendor uh, technologies that may, may show up, but at the same time, embrace uh, the vendors to have relationships because ultimately those relationships could bear fruit in so far that the technology they produce may uh, be better suited to the uh, outcomes that uh, are desirable for the contemporary CISO. So again, thank you for everyone.